How to Stop Being the Victim of Dysfunctional People. That's the title of Dr. Mike's podcast today from Compass Church in Salinas. Thanks for listening. You're about to hear a really practical message. So many of us face the challenges of coming from a dysfunctional family. So here's Dr. Mike speaking about how to protect yourself. Dante in his epic poem, The Inferno, says these very famous words. Hell is for people who live in the past. He was talking about memories that still gnaw at us. Memories that are still open wounds that time has not healed. Scientists tell us that a painful memory replayed in our mind actually recreates the original emotions and intensifies them. Not just repeats them so that you experience them all over again, but even more intensely than the original occasion. Researchers say that emotions of a replayed memory are as vivid and as real as the original event. We feel the shame, the hurt, the anger, the embarrassment, as if that event is happening again right this moment. We've all experienced this. Our face flushes, our body tenses, our mouth goes dry, maybe the veins in our neck begin to pop out, and all we're doing is ventilating and rehearsing what happened in the past. But we're re-experiencing all the same emotions. I wonder whose name I could mention this morning that would start the tapes rolling. The unhealed memory, reliving it all again. Of someone who has wronged you. Someone whose wrong you have not yet healed. Maybe it's an ex-lover who betrayed you. Someone who you trusted, a parent, to whom you were never good enough and constantly criticized you or was verbally violent or even sexually abused you. Maybe it's an adult child who has hurt you. Maybe it's a brother or sister in your family. In the last service, I said it may be that someone here is a pastor or who was once uh, on the staff of a church and you were wronged. You were beaten up by that church in some manner. A guy came up who was a pastor of a church in another state for prayer after the worship service. It happened six years ago. When we went back just to go through some of the feelings, the memories of what it was like to be betrayed and to be treated like he was really run out of town, the emotions were incredible. It was happening all over again. What are your unhealed memories? The question is this, as I thought about this this last week. The question is, how much longer until these memories are healed? Maybe better yet, how much longer will we allow ourselves to be their repeated victim over and over again 
every time we remember what they did to us. A few years ago, I counseled a woman who is not from this church. And I tell you her story because it, it really is a cookie cutter story that I hear so often in counseling. Uh, it's a classic picture of what happens again and again. She told me that her husband, the familiar story, had left her for a younger woman. And then over the next 45 minutes, she painfully told me about how she had given him the best years of her life. She had worked to help put him through school so he could enter his profession. She had borne him children and devoted herself to raising those children and making a home for him to come home to where he could find peace and relaxation. And she had loved him. And then he dumped her. He just callously walked out, said, I don't love you anymore, and I want her, not you. Can you imagine what that felt like? I want her, not you. Her pain just gushed out like a broken fire hydrant. And after she got quiet, after the, the crying was done, I asked her, how long ago did this happen? She said, six years ago. I thought she was going to say two months ago because it was so real. Six years ago. And as she told me this, the pain was as if it was yesterday. That's the way it always is with an unhealed memory. That's the way it always is. And then she told me that he had called and he said to her that he was sorry if he had hurt her. And then he said, I hope you're happy because she's remarried now. I'm happy. This was all for the better. Now I want to be friends. Can we be friends again? And then she was quiet. And I asked her, well, what did you say to him? And in a very even, calm voice, she said, I told him to go to hell. <laughs> I can't tell you how often I've heard that in my counseling office. I told him to go to hell. She has every right to do that. What he has done or did to her is unspeakable. But she's only hurting herself. While he dances the night away and enjoys his new marriage, she has this unhealed wound in her life that she's dragging around. And every time she remembers what he did and rehearses that memory and re-experiences all the pain, she becomes his victim yet another time. Occasionally, I see her around Salinas. She's remarried to a really good man. She lives in a really nice house, has really good children. But when I see her, 
I can tell she's not very happy. You can just feel it around people like that. Despite all of her blessings, she is dragging through her life suitcases, baggage, full of resentment towards what he has done to her. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, this famous passage about what it means to love one another. It doesn't mention a single feeling. It's all about love is what you do, not how you feel. And in that verse, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. She's got a suitcase full of records on him. Case building, like a prosecuting attorney. All these memories that she rehearses and says, how could he do such a thing as this? And she has a right because he did a lot of bad things. But you know, it's tiring to drag around a suitcase full of wrongs that people have done to you. I love Winston Churchill. He did great things. He's one of my favorite characters in history, but he was far from a godly man. I was surprised to read recently that uh, when Franklin D. Roosevelt died in 1945, Churchill didn't attend the funeral. This was glaring to the world because it was the two of them who stood together to defeat Nazi Germany. And it was uh, Churchill who had really provided the loans and the war material, the planes, the armor, all of that, that kept England in the war alone against Nazi Germany for several years before America entered the war. But it turns out, turns out that he extracted a high price from Britain. He humiliated Churchill. He almost made Churchill beg for assistance in the war. And the price he extracted in gold and repayment was very high indeed. There were no gifts from Franklin D. Roosevelt. Worse, Churchill was a dignified man, but at Yalta, he humiliated him. He played Stalin against Churchill, and he publicly snubbed Churchill because he thought Churchill and the UK were past and the future lay with Russia and Stalin. Churchill had a bag full of resentment against Franklin D. Roosevelt and when he died, he got even. He didn't go to the guy's funeral. 20 years later, Churchill dies, 1965. Guess who doesn't go to Churchill's funeral? President Lyndon Johnson. On the stage of world leaders carrying around baggage of resentments and passive aggressiveness on the world stage. What are your unhealed memories? I wonder whose name is on this baggage for you today. In fact, if I would have had time, I would have lined out 40 or 50 bags because for many of us, we got that many bags with that many names. 
bags full of unhealed memories and a record of resentment against people. It's only natural. Everybody does it, except somebody who's been liberated by Christ. Go back with me to Joseph in the pit. His brothers had thrown him in there, and we saw last week in Genesis 37, we saw that Jacob, his father, had made the same mistakes that his father and grandfather had made. He had made Joseph his favorite son and given him this technicolor coat that said to everyone, Joseph was special among his children. The coat was not a working coat. It was a long coat, went down to the ankles with long sleeves. The scriptures are very specific on it. You don't work in a field with a coat like that. If you're a field worker, you have short sleeves and you have a short hem so you can move. That coat symbolizes to his brothers, you got to work, but I don't. I get to laze around home because I'm special. So when they see him coming through the fields, they can't even speak to him. They just jump him, rip the coat off, and throw him in the pit, planning to kill him. But they decide to make money and sell him as a slave to Egypt. What's so significant about chapter 37 that I didn't mention last week is the chief vocabulary word in this chapter about anger and bitterness and a dysfunctional family, the chief word is brother. 21 times in one chapter, brother. Brothers against brothers. Family against family. And this is the fourth generation doing the same thing. Division, families that aren't functioning together, that are not tight, but have baggages full of stuff against one another. You live in a family like that. There's so many of them. The fourth generation repeating the same cycles. His great-grandfather, Abraham, did it favoring Isaac over Ishmael. And still today, the descendants of Isaac and Ishmael, Isaac, the Jews, Ishmael, the Arabs, still can't get along. That was 5,000 years ago. And the cycle is still going on. And then what does Isaac do? He does the same thing. He favors Esau over Jacob, creates the same wounds, the same problems between husband and wife and brother and brother. And then what does Jacob do when he's been wounded by his father, the father wound, when his brother has been preferred over him, where he has never been good enough, never measured up in his father's eyes? Anyone here like that this morning? What does Jacob do? He does the same thing in his family and favors Joseph over his ten brothers. He repeats the sins of his parents. And this is one of the factors of generational sin. It's one of the distinctive things. 
Jacob can't see he's doing the same thing to his kids that his dad did to him. He's blind. A person who's in a dysfunctional state can't see it, even though they hear a sermon on it like today. They can't see it. And the reason is, it was so common in their family. This behavior, this way of talking was so common. They're so used to it, they can't see the problem with it. And that's Jacob. This is an incredible thing about dysfunctional sin. People have a hard time repenting of it because they can't see it. The story gets worse for Joseph. As a slave in Egypt, his master's trophy wife lusts after Joseph. The Bible tells us he's only 17 years old and it says he was well built, lifted weights, good looking. And Joseph, when she tries to seduce him, does the right thing and runs and refuses to go to bed with her. But a spurned woman, <laughs> she lies about him to her husband. And who does the husband believe? His wife. And so he throws Joseph in the dungeon. And when he gets in the dungeon, short, a long story short, it gets worse. He befriends one of Pharaoh's ex-servants. Turns out that that's how the servant gets reinstated to Pharaoh and when he gets reinstated he forgets all of his promises to Joseph. He betrays him. One injustice after another. But God turns all of these bad things into good. I want to talk about that later in this series. One thing that helps us withstand mistreatment is the confidence in Jeremiah 29:11, which says, God says, I know my plans for you. They are for good and not for evil. In the midst of the darkness, you've got to cling to this, that God is greater and he will turn evil into good. It just takes some time. Pharaoh makes Joseph his second in command. And this could have never happened if Joseph was still in Israel. But because of what his brothers did that looked so bad, it put him into a position where God could elevate him to the most powerful person besides Pharaoh in the most powerful country in the world. You couldn't see that coming in the pit and on the way to Egypt. You couldn't see that coming. But you never can when God's at work. And so his brothers show up. They come to Egypt for grain because of this famine in Israel. And they walk into the splendid room of power. And Joseph sees them. They're the reason all these bad things happen to him. And the question is, why not give them a taste of what they gave to him and throw them in the dungeon and see how they like it? What's that bumper sticker say? Come on, you know it by heart. Don't get mad, get even. That's the world's way. I read this last week, a true story of a man in Marin County whose wife had an affair, then left him and hired an attorney who took him to the cleaners when they were divorced. 
Get this, she's the one who had an affair. She divorces him and gets most of the money. Well, he was really angry writing out these alimony checks. And I think he got very creative. You know, there are some banks who will let you personalize your checks. You can put on there the picture of your dog or a child. You're ahead of me, aren't you? You know what he put on there? He put on a picture of his new wife passionately kissing him right on that check. And he only uses those checks for his alimony payments, of course. I think that's creative. Some of you are taking notes on that right now. I can see it all over here. See, you come to church, you get good ideas. No, do you think that's healing his wounds? Do you think writing out that alimony check every month, thinking of his wife looking at this picture, is really healing his memories? No. It's reopening them. It's reliving them. What he's doing every time he writes that check is making himself a victim of her once again. As long as he keeps his bag of accusations and resentments with her name on it, he will never be healed. Joseph had the chance to get even with his brothers, but instead he chose to forgive. The word for forgive in Greek is so significant. Forgive means to let go of. It, it doesn't mean that what you did isn't bad. It doesn't mean, oh, I forget it all happened and it really didn't happen. No. To forgive simply means to let go of your bag and walk away. To stop dragging it through your days. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice you make, regardless of how you feel, to let it go. That's all it means. To let go of your hope of getting even. That's all it means. This is so important. Forgiveness detaches us from dysfunctional people. Keeping a record of wrongs attaches us to dysfunctional people. It's your choice. Our scripture reading this morning in Genesis 45 is act, actually the climactic moment of Joseph's story, even though it doesn't actually end for five more chapters. Because his brothers are there in Egypt looking for grain, they stand before him because they have to go to the one who's in the power in Egypt. So they go to the potentate, the guy who's second in command behind Pharaoh. And they don't recognize him, the Bible says. Why? It's been 22 years since they threw him in the pit and last saw him. 22 years. He's now 39 years old. He's changed a lot since he was 17. More than that, Hebrews wore a lot of hair. Big beards, you can still see that in Jerusalem today. Just lots, big beards, not Egyptians. They shave their heads, shave their face clean, shave their whole body for hygienic reasons. Not only that, 
He's wearing different clothes than they wear. He's wearing Egyptian clothes, and they were very different clothes. And most of all, they never dreamed that the guy they threw in the pit could ever be the most powerful guy in Egypt. They don't, they don't expect this. So they walk into the room, and they don't get it. That's why in the text, Joseph says, come closer for a better look. I'm really him. So here's the climactic moment in verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were unable to speak because they were terrified. I bet they were bug-eyed, <laughs> expecting him to get even. But Joseph throws his arms around them and he weeps and he tells them he's going to provide abundantly for their families and he showers them with guilt, gifts. This is when the generational cycles were broken. At this moment, this conflict that had gone on for centuries was broken because one person went first in letting go of their bag. That's the only way it ever happens. Letting go of the bag. Unless we forgive, the cycles of a dysfunctional family will be passed on to the next generation. Only forgiving stops the cycles. If we refuse to forgive and hold on to our record of wrongs, the cycles will go on. I've seen this dozens of times in counseling. A married couple came to me for counseling and it was apparent early on in the conversation that they loved each other very much but there was a significant problem in the marriage. He had a truth-telling problem. He had broken trust repeatedly. He had lied to her, deceived her and he had done things that he had hidden from her because he knew if she knew about it she wouldn't approve. So he hid them from her and he would lie in order to hide things from her. What was significant is he admitted all this without any guilt. No guilt. Interesting. He doesn't understand how serious breaking trust is to a relationship. You cannot have a relationship with someone you can't trust. It's foundational. And he didn't see this. And so we talked and eventually it came out that the reason he lies and hides things from her is she's controlling. She wants to micromanage his life. And he doesn't like to be controlled. And he doesn't like accountability any place. But he doesn't want to be controlled. So I have to lie to her. Because that's the only way I can break her control in me. Get this? This is so classic in dysfunctional behavior. 
A dysfunctional person will, as C.S. Lewis says, always hide their sin behind their virtue. They'll virtuize it. See what he was doing? Look, I know I'm lying. I know I'm deceiving you. But don't you see, I have to because you're controlling. You're the problem. I have to do this because it's my freedom. That's always the way it goes in dysfunctional behavior. And I want to say something really important here. A lot of us hear dysfunctional families and we think, oh, drug addictions, you know, I don't know, all kinds of mayhem going on. No. No. All dysfunctional means is you have behavior patterns and beliefs that incapacitate you in maximum relationships. You're incapacitated relationally. For this person in his marriage, it was he lied. That totally incapacitated him for intimacy with his wife, but he wasn't seeing it. For you, it might be just self-centeredness, or it might be being judgmental. You cannot be close to people if you're judgmental. It distances you. It might be that you're just self-centered. That's going to incapacitate you in relationships. You can never have the closest kind of relationship if that's your belief. You have a belief that says, you know, if somebody wrongs me, they have to pay. That's really going to incapacitate you because people are sinful. You're going to have a lot of bags. So dysfunctional behavior is not this wild stuff. It's what it is. It's another word for sinful thoughts and behaviors that cripple us in relationships with people who are different from us. Everybody has a few good relationships, but in general, it'll incapacitate you with other people. That's dysfunctional. He wasn't trustworthy that incapacitated him in his marriage. But guess what? Where did this idea come from? Well, it turns out his father was very controlling. He was a micromanager of this man as he grew up as a little boy. And the story poured out that he couldn't do anything without his father's approval. His dad wanted to know everything and watched over him like a hawk and was just saying no, no, no and stopping him from doing things that he thought he should do. So what do you think the little seven and eight-year-old boy did? He learned to lie. He learned to hide things. He learned to deceive things from his father as a bid for freedom. You see, a little boy who's seven or eight years old can't stand up and rationally talk to a father like that. He'd get beat up. So what he does is he adapts. He adapts. And I want to talk about this a lot more because a lot of us, the root of our sinfulness and the reason we're not changing is our adaptions. And we think our adaptions are right because we had to because of the way our wife's controlling. This guy adapted. And what he did was develop a habit of, I don't want people micromanaging like my father. I don't want any accountability. If I get in those situations, I just lie. But it's not bad because I have a right to be free. 
so in his marriage. What do you think happens at work? Adapting. This man can go to Bible studies for 30 years and he will never see it. He has to be in a counseling situation like this to work it back all the way to his father and to understand that what he's doing really is crippling to him relationally. That's why he needs to change, not because it's sinful, it's crippling to him. Come back with me to Joseph. Several chapters earlier, we learned that he marries an Egyptian woman and had two children by him. Do you know what he names his first child? Manasseh. <laughs> Not a very popular name today, but it's so significant in Hebrew. Manasseh means the healing of memories or God took the sting out of my memories. Isn't that beautiful? He took the sting. Not that I don't remember it. He took the sting. And so J Joseph later, when he talks to his brothers, he says, come near. You're my brothers who sold me into slavery. He doesn't have amnesia. The sting's gone. That's what healing of memories is. You don't forget, you just don't go through the emotions anymore. You've been healed. That's what Joseph is announcing by naming his child Manasseh. That happened years earlier before his brother showed up. He had already forgiven them. C.S. Lewis brilliantly described hell as where no one ever forgets a thing and instead remembers every wrong and hurtful thing done to them. Anybody living in hell? That's hell. How do you stop being a dysfunctional person? You forgive. You move out of hell. Not even God can heal memories we won't stop rehearsing. If you remember anything, remember that. Not even God can heal a wound or a memory we won't let go of. So what memories are those for you? If I mention the names of the person, they're on the bag. They're on the bag. And the pain would all come back. Do you need to let go of some bag full of record of wrongs? Who is that for you? Do it for you. It's not a jip. Do it for you to be healed. That's the Lord's Supper. It's time for us to con confess the baggage and the names that are on the baggage. It's time to. Because to hold grievances and to keep a record of wrongs is sin. We are commanded to forgive one another as we have been forgiven. Now, right now, I know what some of you are saying to yourself. Pastor Mike, you don't understand how badly I've been mistreated. If I forgive them, it's going to let them get away with it. You're right. I don't know your story specifically. I do know this. 
I too have been wronged and mistreated and I too have been wounded and had memories and I finally came to trust God's word forgive and be set free. And I have experienced this and I can tell you it's the best thing you can do for yourself. But it's a process. The devil, if you do it today during communion, you let go of a bag full of memories, the devil is going to come to you before lunch, knocking on your door with the bag again. Remember all the things they did? And this is what you've got to say to him. He's standing there at the bag. You've got to say to him, Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the debt for their sins against me. He paid the debt just like he paid the debt for my sins and then shut the door. Because forgiveness finally is Jesus died for their sins. So who do you think you are making them pay again? But most importantly, that's attaching yourself to them to be their victim again. Don't do that. Thanks for listening to Dr. Mike's podcast today. On our website, you can also find DVD copies of these messages that you can order. We also hope you'll share this podcast with a friend and also subscribe. It's free, and when you're subscribed, you won't miss a single one of Dr. Mike's inspiring messages. Our whole purpose is to help people overcome their challenges by drawing closer to Jesus, our Savior. Thanks for listening today, and God bless you.